produced from the Cube Studios. This is Strong by Science. In-depth conversations about science-based training, sports performance, and all things health and wellness. Here's your host, Max Schmarzo. What's up, guys? I got Dr. Mohamed Rabari here with me today. He is a board-qualified foot and ankle surgeon, an expert on all things when it comes to foot. I'm really excited about this podcast. Him and I have spoke off air a couple of times, and honestly, I have to tell him, you know, hold it right now. I want to hear it on the podcast because some of the stuff is just gold. Um, Dr. Mohamed, thank you for being here. Really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you for that introduction. I'm I'm really excited. You know, I've seen a bunch of you guys' stuff, and I really, really think your audience is going to benefit from what we're going to talk about today. So I'm glad you just gave me a platform to present it on. Oh, it's it's awesome, guys. So you, if you guys listening, get your notepads out because I had my notepad out earlier. We're before air on here, and uh, Dr. Muhammad's rattling off a whole bunch of stuff, and my mind's already racing with about two thousand questions. So we'll try to keep this. Uh, Really uh, excited. It's a really good podcast. I'm pretty juiced about it. So, Dr. Hom, we're talking about the foot. Right. right. We hear people talk about the foot a lot. And we, unfortunately, in simplistic terms, uh, I guess the most painful version is we go to Walgreens and we stand on a little pad and it tells us everything we know need to know about our foot. And obviously, our foot is a little more complex than that. Right. If you don't mind, could you dive into some of the details of the foot, lower extremity, and ankle complex, why it's important for our health? What specifically is it comprised of? Um, and then we can dive into some of the details after. That's great. You know, I, I love to start off this convo with a, a quick statement by Da Vinci, right? Da Vinci once said that the human foot is a masterpiece of engineering and a work of art. Now, Da Vinci wasn't some creep who was just fascinated with the feet. He, he was ahead of his time when he said this quote. Now, we're going to break down just the foot alone. So the foot is compromised of nine compartments. Each compartment has its own blood vessels, muscles, bones. From nine compartments, we have 33 joints in each foot, period. After that, we're going to take it into uh, 26 bones in each foot. Combined, both feet have a quarter of the body's skeletal system, right at the level of your foot and ankle. And then we ask our feet many different things to perform every day. So the, the average American takes anywhere from five to 10,000 steps. We're not even including the HIIT training, fanatics, CrossFit, runners, and whatnot. We're just talking about your average day person, go to from work to the, to the uh, store, shopping, whatever it may be. That equates to 110,000 miles in your lifetime. So you can imagine the ground and pound your foot takes just as an average person. And then the things we demand of our foot and ankle are kind of out of the ordinary. So if you're a uh, runner or wide receiver, we expect our foot and ankle to be able to make cuts and move as fast as we demand it to move. If you're a ballet dancer, you know, you want to be as precise as possible when they get on their tippy toes and get on point. Um, if you're an MMA or a karate instructor, you're asking your foot to be strong enough to break through wood or concrete. And one has to be, uh, you know, marvel at the idea that the foot can have all these different functions, you know, from precision to mobility to strength. And the reality of the matter is this is all possible because of the human structure and the anatomy of the foot. And we, it's as, you know, just uh, normal day-to-day humans have to make sure to take care of that because when this this is disrupted, it's a slippery slope into an array of problems. And anybody who's ever had a foot or ankle injury will tell you, you know what, honestly, I finished rehab, I'm recovered, but I'm never the same. So my whole spiel is let's get to that point where you never have to go through that route, right? And if you look at people who really take care of their body and these athletes, 
we're talking about a full workup and the foot and ankle is a crucial point in that. And we'll talk about sports injuries and how uh, nearly half of all sports injuries are in the foot and ankle, you know, from minor to severe. So you're thinking about people love to talk about shoulders, Tommy John surgery, whatever it may be. Look no further. The foot and ankle is the foundation of stability. You know, it's the initiation of the kinetic chain. You want to begin a movement, you're going to start with the foot and ankle. And we all know you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? So you want to make sure you're you're top notch from head to toe, no pun intended, you know? Um, so that, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's so much to talk about for your audience because I know they want to be, you know, the, the optimal and the the best from top to bottom, like we talked about. Um, so my my indulgement came in from experience. Everybody. It's a cliche story for uh, people in the healthcare profession. But uh, I played three sports growing up. Basketball was my favorite one. And I sprained my ankle numerous times and thought nothing of it. You know, when you're growing up, uh, sprained ankle is just the norm, right? You tighten up your sneakers, you wear high tops, and you call it a day. You get back on the court same day, if not the next day. Um, until once I, I uh, sprained my ankle so severely that it never got better. Come to find out, I ruptured a very important ligament in the ankle. And I'll be honest with you, it, I've never been the same. Since 17 years old to now 29, I play in rec leagues and I play in uh, seasons and I'm just, people are like, I'm that old guy that says, you know, I used to be nice and they go, wow, really? <laughs> they must've been really bad back in the day, <laughs> you know? So it, it really touches home when I see an athlete come into my practice and kind of not take this seriously because I can, I could kind of foresee what's going to happen if you just neglect these things. So what I want to preach today is, you know, preventative medicine is the best medicine. And prevention is better than the cure. You know, you could do so much as a clinician, but the best thing we can offer is expertise on how to make sure you never get to that point. There are some things that are unavoidable, but for the things that are, uh, I hope to address them in your podcast today. Oh, no, I, I love it. I couldn't agree more. And that basketball example, it, it rings home with me. I, I played in a small D3 hoops in college. But in high school, I had a really severe left ankle sprain. And it to this day, it must be a 15 to 20% difference in dorsiflexion, so how far my ankle's moving. And it, it affects me in so many different ways. And not to go on a rant, right, if we're talking about the foot, well, if we're doing closed chain activities, it's going to start at the foot, right? If I'm squatting and I don't have ankle dorsiflexion, well, what do you think the motion's coming from? My hips, my low back, uh, my, my T-spine, something has to compensate for my inability to move. So I work at a really a facility. Uh, I'm biased. I love it. And we have, it's a, it's a treadmill that is um, about 20,000 microsensors on it. And so when we talk to our clients, we get to see every foot contact, the timing from the fifth to the first metatarsal. And I found it to be one of the most useful screening tools for anybody because you can't hide an injury in your footprint. I have to tell people, right, you're, it's the first thing that hits the ground and interacts with it. And it's the last thing to interact with the ground. And so it's almost like the fingerprint of your movement signature. As a person, what our body is doing really reveals itself in how our heel hits the ground or we get into our big toe to actually get the push off. Is our foot functioning the way it should be? Now, you talked about the foot has to function in both precision, but also in strength and mobility. And it has all these different demands that maybe other parts of our body don't have because of the complex nature of the foot itself. Um, when we're talking about that, how do you address that, you know, the complexity of it in nature? 
and how as an athlete, someone who maybe is looking to optimize my health, starting with my feet, might want to seek out some advice or how do I address it myself? Absolutely. That's a great question. I'm glad you guys have those tools in your facility. That's that's amazing. And anybody who's hearing this should take advantage of something like that. Um, so I like what you said, the foot, you know, your foot type, there's different types of feet, whether you're flat footed, high arched or normal. Um, the foot type is a fingerprint, just like you said. And that's going to dictate because certain foot types have uh, certain predilections to different injuries. So if you have a high arch foot, you're actually more prone to injuring the outside of your foot than someone who's flat footed who's more prone to injuring the inside of their foot. And that could only be known through a proper examination, whether it be through pressure points or just a stance exam. Now, as far as optimal function for an uh, athlete, you have to ask that athlete, what is, what is your demand? What are you looking forward to? Because the foot is contributing to many different sports, uh, from golf even. Golf, when they, when they swing and follow through, a lot of that comes from the big toe. So it, any golfer who has big toe arthritis, they'll notice a difference in their swing because we talked about kinetic chain and how it functions in a whole. I mean, everything is interconnected. You also mentioned compensation. If your big toe doesn't have the motion it needs, guess who's going to compensate it for the next joint proximal? That's going to be the, the midfoot and the ankle then the knees, the hips and the back. And all of a sudden your swing is completely off and you have no idea why. So that question is tailored to every specific athlete. So if I'm dealing with a basketball player, right? The ankle is going to be the most demanding aspect for me. So what are we going to do? We can't strengthen ligaments as much as we want. We know the anatomy, but what we can do is strengthen everything around those ligaments. We want to strengthen the muscles and the tendons around them. So they create this construct of stability. So when your ankle wants to invert and sprain this way or outwards, the muscles will kind of act as an internal splint, right? And they'll keep everything within itself. If you look at a ligament, I mean, their job is, is demanding. Their sole job is to take two bones and keep them together at all times. Throughout all the demanding you're doing, running up and down the court, jumping, running, whatever it may be, their job is to maintain this structure without separating the two bones. Now, that's going to be hard to pinpoint each ligament and strengthen, but what we could do is strengthen the muscles around them. And how we're going to do that, it starts from day one, training the proper way, getting the proper evaluation. You mentioned dorsiflexion. That's a big killer for me. If someone has limited ankle dorsiflexion, I'm working on that from day one. You talk about uh, Achilles tendonitis. You talk about shin splints. You talk about uh, an array of conditions that could all be related to equinus, which is the lack of ankle dorsiflexion. Um, as far as like soccer players, you're looking at something different for them as far as stability and maintaining different things, whereas the midfoot, the Lisfranc complex, uh, increasing strength in the intrinsic muscles. So for soccer players, I'll tell them, listen, don't be ashamed to train barefoot from time to time. Don't be ashamed to walk barefoot time to time. Sneakers are a great thing. They protect us from ground reactive forces and for a long, prolonged period, they'll protect us from tendonitis, stretch fractures, and so forth. But at the same time, they do weaken our intrinsic muscles of the foot, and we have to wake them up from time to time. So doing barefoot training at a certain limit and doing barefoot around the house will actually be a, a positive benefit to those type of athletes. Um, I know I'm going on a little of a tangent, but I hope you kind of get that we're trying to create a splint around the structures to maintain that. So it's going to be through strengthening the muscles around the ankle complex, the foot complex. It's going to be through strengthening the proprioceptive balance, right? So proprioception, your balance in space, that's probably the biggest factor. And, you know, if you read research, they'll say proprioceptive training is probably the number one factor preventing re-injury. So if someone has an ankle sprain and they're getting rehab and they're healed, if they're not getting proprioception training, 
proprioceptive training, the chances of them re-spraining their ankle is like tenfold, you know, and we saw that with Steph Curry, right? Steph Curry, when he first started his career, he kept spraining that same ankle. And the reality is all he had to do is increase his proprioceptive training. And you see a lot of videos of Steph. He's like hopping on one foot on these balls and he's trying to keep in balance. You see Kyrie Irving doing the same thing. And that revolves around proprioceptive training. It's very important and demanding for an athlete in the basketball realm and in any sport, really. Yeah, no, I got 45 questions off that. And I love all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bring some clarity to listeners, guys. We're talking about proprioceptive training. We're talking about we have these um, sensors in our body, essentially, for lack of better words, that are talking to our brain and understand where our joints are in space. So if you were to close your eyes and move your arm around, your proprioception is the ability to know where that limb is. And so the doctor's talking about here is, right, we have our foot and we sprain it. And what happens is that muscle and the tendons and all the ligaments are perturbed. And it's something called neuromechanical coupling. So it's how our brain talks to our body. And when our foot's perturbed from an injury, that pathway gets dysregulated. And you're, it's a great thing, actually, because your body's awesome at surviving. It says, you know what? We know you still need to use your foot. So we're, we're going to kind of shift a little bit the demand on something else. And it's going to allow you to function, have kids, and die one day. But as an athlete... You don't really, you don't want to get back to, okay, you want to get back to optimal, to what you were. And so what that does now is we have to train the body, train the mind-body connection, which is the proprioception, right, where we are in space, to re-educate that pathway to fire in an appropriate way. And so when we're talking about proprioceptive training, and not to go on a rant here, people bash a lot. They go, oh, that guy's on a, you know, a balance ball. That doesn't matter. Or that guy... You know, you shouldn't do this. You can't do that. But if you guys listen, Doc talked about how we need to have strength, right? We're doing things like we're training barefoot, but now we need to train the sensory system itself. So instead of thinking, hey, we only got to train one of these, we're looking at as a whole, how do I challenge my sensory system, my proprioceptive abilities? How do I challenge now the intrinsic foot muscular musculature? Um, how do I make it now in a way that I'm not going to go run nine miles barefoot the first time, but in a progressive manner, right? And so I love what you're talking about, Doc, in regards to how we're really going into the specifics of the foot, and we're not taking this generalized approach. Um, I want to kind of reel it back one second before we dive into some of that. You talked a little bit about um, understanding what kind of foot type you are and what you need. Um, You talked about dorsiflexion. And basically in foot eval, what does a foot evaluation look like for yourself? How do you determine what type of foot type someone is? And then based on that, are there specific interventions you might provide? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when someone comes in just strictly for an eval, it becomes a whole biomechanical assessment. So I'm looking at limb length, right? I'm looking at if one limb is longer than the other, because that's going to change the way I think, because we talked about compensation. And one of the ways your foot compensates for limb length discrepancy is that the longer limb, the foot will flatten out to kind of even yourself and become on port when you balance. You're looking for uh, ankle range of motion. That's probably one of the most key things I'm looking for. If the patient has lack of ankle dorsiflexion, I mean, we're talking about a slippery slope of conditions, which I won't go into again. I'm talking about subtalar joint motion. That's the joint right under the ankle. So tense, sometimes when um, 
the ankle will lack some of its motions because the ankle is a triplanar motion, but for the most part, its job is to go up and down. But it does have the ability to go side to side and move in the frontal plane. But the reality of it, most of the frontal plane motion is actually in the joint underneath the ankle. So you have to understand if the ankle is lacking something, the joint underneath is going to compensate. So a lot of times if someone's going through prolonged uh, compensation of lack of ankle joint motion, they'll have arthritis in the joint underneath. And it becomes, again, this slippery slope. It's a common theme. When one thing's wrong, things will follow suit. Uh, after the subtalar joint range of motion, I'm looking at the midfoot abduction. I'm seeing how much range of motion. Now, at the list frank and the midfoot level, we're not expecting a lot of range of motion. We're expecting stability, and that's what we want to see. So I'll test out the list frank joint by doing what's called a midfoot abduction test. I'll make sure they have no pain in that area, and I'll make sure that they don't, they don't feel too flabby in that area. And then I'll move a little more distal. And then the last thing I want to talk about is the first MPJ range of motion. Now, the first MPJ, which is the big tool, it's what we use for propulsion, right? That's the last thing that comes off the ground when we're finally making that step and going into what's called swing phase, meaning that, that slight moment where your foot's not touching the ground. That, that joint is very demanding. It will absorb 80% of your body's weight at certain points of gait. If you're lacking motion in that joint, everything is thrown off. And that's why someone, when he has a stiff first MPJ, they'll tell you, oh, my God, everything's coming. My heel hurts. My midfoot hurts. My ankle hurts. And I just can't explain it. And I'm going through the biomechanics. and I'm telling them, listen, I think if we take care of this, everything will follow suit. And that's when you kind of become a detective because you can't just treat all the symptoms at the same time. At some point, you have to ask yourself, what's the root of the problem here? And how do I figure this out? So that for me is the standard biomechanical exam. Now, as far as the foot type, simple stance. I tell them, get up. I look at them from the back of the heel, see if they're in what's called valgus, varus, or neutral. Um, I'll tell them to face right. I'll see the arch if it's collapsed and the arch goes in levels. So you're, if you're a zero, you're completely flat. If you're one plus, you have a little arch. If you're two plus, you're normal. If you're three, you're high arch, which is it's actually pretty bad. You don't want to be high arch. And then I'll rotate them around 360 and kind of make a judgment from there. Now, your foot type is going to dictate what kind of sneakers you're better in or what kind of orthotics you may be better in. Your biomechanical exam also dictates what kind of sneakers you may be better in. So if you lack ankle dorsiflexion, wearing a sneaker with a thicker heel is only going to exacerbate your symptoms. Whereas if you don't lack it, then you can wear the kind of normal type of sneaker. Um, I hope that kind of answers what you were looking for in terms of foot type and what I'm looking for in terms of biomechanics. No, I really like that. And what I like about that is you have this assessment protocol that you're going through. Oh, and yeah. when you're looking at the foot as a coach, you don't need to be a podiatrist to observe the foot, right? You can look at it, but what you can see is just like doc rattled off there. If there's a flat arch, um, if the foot is, you know, valgus one way or the other, I believe you said, right. We can refer, right. We can get that athlete in the hands, like someone like yourself, or someone who's trained in that area. So now I'm equipping myself as a coach, you know, as a general population to understand that I might need to go see X, Y, and Z just based on something that I can see visually, right? That's a tool I feel like we, we see um, at times as coaches, but we don't always act on it. We say, oh, you know, it's just a foot, it's just whatever. But small things really add up. You're talking about making sure the right shoe is for the right individual. And with that, you see it so often where there's been a big kind of spike in Liz Frank fractures in the I guess, NFL as well as the NBA. 
And a lot of it is these guys' feet are like like size 16 and size 18. And the shoes themselves aren't always custom fit and made for that individual at to the extent that maybe it could be or should be, especially shoes that say aren't their basketball shoes. Maybe they got size, you know, 14 or 15 dress shoes and all these things because every step adds up. For those who are not aware, right, the Liz Frank is on the outside of the foot. That's where that stress fracture occurs. Is that correct, Doc? I don't want to be wrong on that. Uh, the Liz Frank, so it's a, it's a complete complex of the midfoot, and the, the okay. main connection is between the, the first bone and the middle bone in the midfoot. That's the strongest ligament. It's, it's a multiple assessment of ligaments, but that one, if that one goes, everything tends to fall apart, and it's a devastating injury. It really is. I mean, it'll end your season for sure. Gotcha. And that can come from footwear possibly not being fitted properly. 100%. 100%. Uh, if, you, if you're in a bad footwear, uh, you put more stress on that ligament than you need to. And uh, one wrong cut will eventually snap that ligament. And when that ligament snaps, the whole complex kind of deviates. Sometimes you get lucky and it's just uh, a single column. Sometimes you get unlucky and it's one whole column. And then sometimes you really get unlucky in what we call divergent is that the two columns will split like the C. And again, you know, you're talking about a rehab process. Uh, surgery is almost is 100 percent necessary. There's not many people who are going to say it's a non-surgical thing. It just depends what kind of surgery you're going to do. Are you just going to throw screws or are you going to do what's called a fusion? That's the real debate. And then on top of that, that's going to take anywhere from eight to 10 weeks just to heal. We're not even talking about the he- rehab process. We're talking about healing. And then after that, you're going to initiate rehab. So that's why I told you that's a season ending surgery. You know, another thing for improper footwear with people with high arch, they're more predisposed to outside of the foot injuries. So people like uh, Ben Simmons or KD, you know, they had what's called a Jones fracture. And that's breaking the bone on the outside of the foot. That's a surgical uh, problem. And uh, you want to make sure that they're wearing the proper shoe gear because if they're not, they're constantly adding force on that area. You know, Newton taught us this thing. He said, for every action, there's a reaction. So don't think when you're walking or you're running, the ground isn't shooting up forces on your foot. It really is. Now, the shoe, the beauty of footwear is it's kind of buffering out those forces for you. So if you were to go completely barefoot and just run full throttle, those forces may be too hard for you to handle on your bone density. But when you wear a sneaker, that kind of, again, buffers out those forces, so it protects us from any fracture. Now, if you wear a high arch foot and you're already prone to breaking that outside of your bone and you're wearing improper shoe gear because, you know, you just you just buy generic shoes. Again, you, ne- you never really got opinion on that. You may be even uh, at a higher chance of breaking that bone. And that's why, again, just like you said, a lot of people, coaches, trainers, physical therapists, they're becoming more aware of that. And a, a lot of my connections are through referrals. They'll say, hey, listen, I could only do so much for you. My job is to find the problem and send you into the right hands. And uh, it's vice versa. You know, uh, I can identify the problem such like uh, plantar fasciitis, which is an inflammation of the ligament on the bottom of the foot. But in all actuality, I know my limits on what I can offer you. And I have to know that I have to send you to a PT or or uh, some sort of therapy to get you better. And uh, I think this holistic approach to medicine is really coming full circle. Uh, I'm seeing it more and more now that I'm in private practice and uh, I promote it completely. As a doctor, you can't be the superhero. You have to know this is my limit and I'm going to send you in the proper, proper way. And I'm glad that you guys are also taking a notice on foot type and uh, proper footwear and whatnot. It's, it's crucial. 
Yeah, no. And first off, all my ATCs out there are probably going to yell at me because I meant to say Jones Fracture and I called a Liz Frank outside of the foot. You're oh, right. Jones Fracture, right. Yeah, you got it. It is on the outside. Sure. I, I swung and missed on that one. I had to deal with one when I was in school and uh, not myself, but an individual going through it and they actually had to put a screw through it yep. and just see the surgery firsthand. Mm-hmm. You realize, you know, let's let's do what we can to avoid this, right? Yep. Because and when I talk about avoiding it too, it's the way the time it takes for bone, ligament, and tendon to heal, especially bone and ligament. The ligament may never heal the same, and neither will bone. It actually, never will. The ligament will never. So the beauty of bone is bone will heal, and it might heal stronger. That's that's the reality. So a lot of boxers they used to like punch the walls to break their knuckles because bone, if you're healthy enough, will heal and it'll heal stronger than it, it once was. That's the beauty of bone. Ligaments and skin they never do because the tissue that replaces your original tissue isn't the same type of collagen or uh, soft tissue that it originally was. So forget ligaments; they'll never retain that strength and and uh, that it once had. Bone maybe, but again, bone takes six to eight weeks on a healthy patient. You know, if you're a smoker, you're diabetic, or you have any other comorbidity, you might as well double that time. Yeah, I know. I love that too because you you mentioned there, right? All these things that go into healing, right? If you're a smoker, um, you have poor diet. All this impacts how your healing is going to take place. It's also going to impact your predisposition predisposition to actually get hurt, oh. right? If you're not able to, because when we work out, we actually have osteoclast, osteoblast activity. We're constantly breaking down and rebuilding bone. But if we're always breaking it down, we're not rebuilding it. If we're not providing the right nutritional support, whether it's inadequate, um, you know, macros and micros and all that, that go into that process, then we're not allowing the body to function like it should. And with that, you mentioned earlier, that's why we want to progress properly. If we are training barefoot, don't say, oh, barefoot's the greatest thing. Let's go practice the next four days barefoot. Because what happens is your muscles will rebound. Your tendons and ligaments don't rebound that quickly, right? You got to take some time and let it build up. If you could talk a little bit about that, that time process and how maybe you might see progressing someone who's never walked barefoot, I guess, at any sort of distance outside the house how might you progress someone from barefoot to doing something actually active on their bare feet and to where they can have a stronger foot because i can hear a lot of people going oh you know barefoot barefoot this is great let's do it and now all of a sudden everyone's hurt because they thought barefoot was awesome and cement doesn't act the same way as their body likes it to you know, I'm I'm glad you have the the same mindset I have because I, I really thought we we're gonna fight about this because uh, people who who uh, do barefoot training and running they just they they believe in it in their heart and it's hard for them to hear anything against it. Um, one of my good friends wrote a piece for Men's Health magazine on barefoot training and he asked me to contribute to it so people can look at that article for some certain exercises to ease their way into trans uh, transitioning into that. But two pointers, right? So let's talk about barefoot training and barefoot running. And I want to make sure there's a huge distinction between the two, right? Because the demand on your foot is way different, way different. We're talking about running. You're talking about ground and pound, constant ground reactive forces for every step you take. When we're talking about barefoot training, we're talking about some static areas. We're talking about proprioception. It's less demand with certain activities. Now, with that being said, for either or, you should never, 
never. I mean, they say never use never, but for this time, never. Just completely dive into it. Everything has to transition to it. So I'm big on research. Everything I practice is based on research-based evidence. And one of my favorite articles took 10 experienced runners of 20 years and said, yo, listen, we're going to just transition your minimalist shoes and see how you do, okay? All 10 got injured. Every single one. Nine of them, eight of them had stress fractures in their metatarsals. One had a stress fracture in the calcaneus, and one had a plantar uh, fascial rupture. And the, the point of the study was showing that even these experienced runners can't take on the load of a quick transition, right? With barefoot training, it should be a simple step. And it's hard to be the doctor giving this advice because you have to be your own judge. Because the line between benefit and injury can sometimes be a very thin line. So yes, barefoot training can help with proprioception. I mean, your barefoot doesn't get better than that. It can build intrinsic muscles, things you don't use when you're in, in, in footwear all day. It can do all that. But that line, when you overdo it and hurt yourself, is very thin. And sometimes I, it, it's undefinable. So it's hard for me to make that recommendation. If someone comes to me and says, Dr. Mo, can I, can I barefoot train? I say, sure, everything within reason. But I, I don't know what's going to be too much for you to handle. I, it's hard to make that assessment. And that's when the trainer makes that assessment with them. That's when you be your own judge and make that assessment with them um, and things of that nature. Now, barefoot running is a completely different realm. I mean, that's very demanding. Um, and most of the articles will vote against it. There's not many pros into going to that transition right away. Uh, the one article that said the Vibrams, you would see some benefit from it, even then had to be longer than a 10-week transition period. Um, so even for people who are pro minimalist, pro Vibram and all that, and that's fine. Just know that this is a long haul approach. This isn't something you should jump into ever. When minimalism got introduced to our neighborhood, all I saw was stress fractures. I just thought I was the stress fracture king and people were bringing their friends. But then I realized, no, people were ditching their shoes and, and went on this craze. So everything within reason is, is my point here. Yeah. I really like that aspect, um, how we're approaching it. And one of the things that we see so often like fads, right? You see, oh, barefoot's great. Let's only run barefoot or, you know, carbs are kind of maybe bad when you eat really sugary ones. So let's never eat carbs right. again. Right. And right. We, we don't always progress properly and we don't, we, we pendulum swing so far. And so what's running in my mind is how can we transition in a way that maybe isn't just, um, you know, more load or more intensity, but we're transitioning in the way that we're going from a very soft, maybe matted surface to a soft turf, to a rubber, to a hardwood. Maybe we're transitioning from very cushiony shoes to Chuck Taylors or something more barefoot-like. Is that a way to possibly transition an athlete? And well, if so, how do you kind of think about that and see it going forward? To, to be honest, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's that. Those are tactics only an experienced person would know. When you talk about transitioning from soft to harder, harder, hard, and so forth, that's that's that takes experience. And I want to say sorry, but trial and error to realize, oh my God, maybe we shouldn't just do it on hard platform right away. Maybe we should actually do it on padded platform and so forth and so forth. Now we talked about this, and I have no shame saying that medically speaking makes sense. But obviously, I'm not equipped with the training or the modalities or the physical aspect of that. My job is to make that recommendation, to give you the signs of when you're overdoing it might be. 
And that's when I seek help. I have, I have absolutely not enough pride to tell a trainer or a physical therapist or a coach, I'm going to let you make that transition for them. Because uh, let's be honest here, the textbooks in uh, podiatry school don't really teach you about that. They just teach you about the causes, the effects, and uh, what we can do to prevent things. We, we necessarily don't uh, go through the matters of what exercises or routines to go through to transition from one to another. But what we do know is transitioning right away from a sneaker to a hard service barefoot is detrimental to the patient, hands down. Um, and again, the fine line between benefit and injury is yet to be discovered and is individually dependent. Right. So uh, taking a 17 year old uh, boy and taking a, you know, grown 28 year old man athlete, they're going to be able to withstand different things. Everybody's intrinsic muscles are different. Everybody's soft tissue padding, you know, between the intrinsics, the bones and the skin is different and everybody's demands are different. So it's tough to say uh, what's the most ideal or give a generic way to transition for everybody. It really is an individual approach, but absolutely transitioning from a sneaker to cushion to a little rougher and then progressing is by far the most ideal way to get that done with hands down. I can't, I can't imagine anybody arguing that point. Yeah. Um, and, and my, I, I like that approach of, you know, I don't know. I don't know either. I have no idea what the best way to do it is, but we know that, you know, it sounds right, but let's be logical in our progression regardless. And then let's really keep an eye out for signs and symptoms of overtraining or excessive use that might lead to, you know, bigger issues down the road. Um, and we're talking about bigger issues down the road, right? Unfortunately, people do get hurt and we oh, do yeah. have sprained ankles. People who have injuries. And going back to that proprioceptive aspect. Yeah. Going back to that proprioceptive aspect. Can you dive a little more detail into specifically how that works between our brain, our body, and what recommendations you might have for an individual who's trying to improve their proprioception? Yeah. So proprioception is key. For me, I never send a script, and I'll use this word never, without saying gradual progressive to proprioceptive training. So let's say you get an ankle sprain, right? So my standard ankle sprain protocol for, let's say, you know, they come in different grades. The grade one is usually the most standard. Uh, people get it all the time. It, it's nothing. But if mistreated, it can be something. You come to me with a grade one sprain, I'm either putting you in a protective brace or a boot for seven to 10 days, and then we're doing what's called functional rehabilitation. So we're going to begin with passive range of motion. It's going to be a you know movement here and there, and then we're going to graduate to active range of motion. Now you're really asking your ankle to get back into business. And then the last but not least, when everything's strong enough and ready to go, we're going to do proprioceptive training because to me, that's the most demanding. So you described it before. Proprioception is your the way your body sees itself in space. So you close your eyes and you try to stand still and you notice you're moving, you're swaying. Your proprioception isn't the greatest maybe, or you're trying to balance yourself on one foot and you realize, you know what, I can't really do this. These are the physical demands that really dictate things. And you explained it perfectly, honestly, from the proprioceptive aspect. So your body's all connected. It's all neurotransmissions and symptoms, and uh, they just link together. So let's say you injure a, a ligament. You sprain your ankle, you injure a ligament, right? That ankle was has its own memory or own sensation and was designed to function a certain way. When you injure it, whether it be a tear, a sprain, or a rupture, 
it loses some of that potency, right? It loses some of that memory it once had. And what we're trying to do with proprioception is regain it and maybe even advance it a little bit. That's why proprioception should be a modality used pre-injury even, because it's been proven uh, through research that proprioceptive training drastically decreases the re-injury of a patient. So to when we talk about prevention is the best medicine. The, I'll say it again, preventative is the prevention is better than the cure. Proprioception training should be part of every athlete's modality. You're talking about, you know, increasing muscle mass. You're talking about being quicker, balance, balance, balance. It's really going to affect the way you move. It's going to be affecting the way uh, you play and f- so forth and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't dwell on that topic enough. I really can't. So one of the things that kind of comes up when we talk about proprioception and how our body's talking to our limbs neuromechanically, that neurotransmission there's an awesome study showing people doing a depth jump. So jumping off of a box. So now they're open chain because they're in the air. And as they're about to hit the ground, the ones who are well-trained actually had co-contractions and their muscles around the ankle joint to stiffen it. So for people who aren't seeing my hand visualizations here, what happens is the guy jumps off the box. The ankle has to become stiff. So the body sends neurological impulses to those muscles and says, hey, I want to have you know, opposing muscles contract really hard. So we take out some of the slack and that Achilles tendon that might be there. It stiffens the structure because it's bracing for impact. But at the same time, it allows for a performance benefit because you hit the ground quicker. The Achilles can act to transmit force so you have more free elastic energy to jump higher. So when we're talking about proprioception and neuromechanical coupling. All of those things play a role too, right? We're, it's how our body's preparing to move how we're about to strike the ground and how all of those timing, we talk about how complex the foot is. It's not just the fascial system, right? It's not just one muscle. It is the whole foot acting in harmony to hit the ground, propels, I guess, propel, well, I can't even say that, propel yourself upward and transmit the forces that are going on in your movement. Now, in regards to how the foot is functioning in athletics, People harp on over and over again, we want to have a stiff foot that's able to be elastic and spring-loaded, kind of like if we were to be a pogo stick, so we can store elastic energy. So for like Russell Westbrook coming down the lane, we take one aggressive step, our foot's active and contracted, and we're able to propel ourselves upward to you know finish at the rim. How does that kind of understanding and those aspects of the foot fit into determining not just, you know, the foot type and what exercises for proprioception we should do, but maybe that rehab process itself and how you see it kind of going forward. And maybe I know you're not a physical therapist, but your knowledge of the foot is, you know, top of the line, how you see that going forward and whether or not someone should be doing some type of specific exercises or movement patterns to help re-educate that system outside of what people might assume proprioceptive being you know, balancing on a ball or, you know, different balance exercise, but something more dynamic. Yeah, even even with the dynamic things. So uh, repetition, right? You talk about Russell Westbrook and that step he takes and then just explodes. That's that's something they repeat constantly. Don't think that sometimes it's innate and they they just know these things or Antonio Brown. If you look at these athletes, they, they're applying medicine to their training daily. There's a, there's a method to the madness. And that's what I'm trying to 
explain to people. No, yes, some people are born with God gifted ability, but some people had God gifts ability and do nothing with it because they weren't given the proper guidance or the proper training and so forth and so forth. And the reality is when you're talking about in a dynamic proprioceptive uh, sense, you have to train your body and your mind to do certain actions. So that step and that jolt is a repetitive measure. You know, we're talking about muscle memory here. So you're going to begin and go and then you're not even going to run all the way. You're going to come back and start it again. You want to make sure that first step is on point and then go and then bring it back and then keep going until you get it right. So what they'll do when a when an athlete gets injured, they'll look and they'll say, was it faulty mechanics? Was it something we couldn't prevent? Because sometimes you can't prevent these things. But if it's faulty mechanics, they'll try to fix it. And we see this in baseball all the time, right, where people are evaluating his swing and the whole not. You think the swing is just upper body or it's just hips. It comes all the way from the bottom of the base of the foot, right? You, you know, you're kicking your off leg. You have the back leg stable. Everything is taken into careful consideration. Now, unfortunately, we're not all blessed with the individual attention that we all need. But if you maintain consciousness in what's going on with yourself or have someone evaluate you like a professional or a coach or a physical therapist or whatever it may be, they could kind of help guide you into the right pathway. Uh, I hope that kind of makes sense to your question. If I'm general public, I'm an athlete. Are there any things I can do at home to better understand my foot so I can identify whether or not I need to see someone like yourself, um, see a physical therapist, or are there any warning signs that should be are telling me, hey, my footwear isn't best for me? It's tough to say, right? Because we never seek treatment unless we need it. Right. I, I don't I don't go to the doctor unless I'm sick. I, I don't go to the ear doctor unless my ear hurts or I go deaf. And I don't see a foot doctor unless my foot's in pain. Right. And chances are, if your foot's in pain, sometimes it may be late enough. What we're trying to do is get to a point where you never have to see me for anything serious. Right. So my recommendation is always just to get an evaluation. I mean, it, it, if if you're insured, obviously, but uh, it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't cost much of your time to go and do so. And I have people that come through my practice regularly. And they'll come once a year and they'll say, hey, how's it going? And runners do this religiously. I mean, runners will have no issues and still see me because they know the impact of an injury does to their training. I mean, a runner runs for sport. If they get a stress fracture, that's six weeks. We're talking about muscle atrophy. We're talking about loss of endurance. We're talking about a detrimental effect to them. So they come and they just want to see me. They want to make sure their sneakers okay. They'll come with like three, four pairs. They want to make sure if they need orthotics, they'll get customs regardless of the cost. They take their job very seriously. And that's why it bothers me when people say, oh, you want to pick up a sport, pick up running. You know, it's easy. It's so cheap. It's not cheap. I mean, they buy the best sneakers, the best gear and the whole nine yards. And it's definitely not easy. I'll tell you that much. I mean, the impact it has on their foot, ankle, knees and hips. I mean, uh, I see it every day. But the best way to really assess is to get an evaluation. Uh, and believe it or not, many people besides podiatrists, just like you mentioned before, are more than equipped to let's say, hey, I think you should see one, you know, um, from coaches to trainers to physical therapists and so forth. Um, that's the best way. But as far as like home remedy to see your foot type and whatnot, it's it's tough to say because uh, you may think your your foot type is normal and you may see me and I say, no, that's a high arch. You have a really high arch. So uh, you want to get an expert opinion or expert eyes on it. That's that's the best way. I'd be steering the general public wrong if I said anything differently. No, uh, that's that's a great way of putting it. Right. It's let's take care of our bodies. Um, let's be proactive and let's find a way to 
um, you know, not jump to conclusions, but also not ignore it as well. And, you know, intentionally, I, I put this question last because I think there's a little irony to it. Um, the forgotten big toe, right? No one wants to talk about it. No one mentions it. It's, it's yeah. a single joint. Um, it's way down there and we don't think much of it. Obviously, it plays a huge role in how we function. Oh, um, if you give me some insights into the big toe itself, how it affects our body, how it affects our movement pattern, um, I'd love to hear some of that. So the big toe is super crucial. And the loss of big toe, I mean, we talk about ankle range of motion and the importance of dorsiflexion. Um, you could kind of say the same thing about the big toe. And I've done enough big toe surgery where I can tell you and vouch for how important and vital it is to the foot. So the big toe, the main uh, two functions in my eyes, now there's many functions, but the two main functions for it is one, it's a big shock absorber. So you hit the ground, the heel hits first, and the last thing to kind of fall off is your foot. So when energy transfers, it transfers from the heel and it's going to go all the way to the front. And there's certain parts of gait or your cycle or your running where about 80% of your body's weight is on your big toe joint alone. Now, if you don't have the proper range of motion in that big toe, it's either going to flatten out and get arthritis or it's going to send it to the next joint to absorb it and that's why sometimes the lack of first toe uh mobility or the the too much first ray mobility will lead to second metatarsal fracture stress fractures which is the most common fracture the big toe is a crucial joint in the foot complex and should not be neglected it's actually very important for an array of sports um for progression of running and just day-to-day -day walking and the thing the bad part about the big toe is once you hit to a certain point, it becomes progressive. And that's the unfortunate sequence. Um, I just had someone come the other day who is already developing arthritic changes in the big toe. And we're going to develop orthrotics. We're going to get them stiff shoe gear in the front so they're not bending as much. But the reality is I prepared them to let them know chances are this is going to progress and eventually, it, it tends to get to a point where you do need surgery, whether we clean it up, whether we put an implant or what we do is called a fusion and you lose that joint permanently, you know. Um, so I, I would definitely take caution in the big toe. You want at least 65 degrees of motion in the big toe. And that's something you can look on YouTube and see what's normal. Um, it's something you should do in the morning before you even hit the ground. You know, I, I, not to sound like weird, but this is normal activity that I do before I hit the ground. I'm moving my ankle. I'm moving my toes, just kind of getting the body ready for the day to begin. I mean, when you're sleeping, you're not stretching out anything. You know, it's kind of lax. The ligaments are lax. The capsules are lax. And when you first hit the ground, sometimes you're not ready for that. And that's the one of the biggest things podiatrists see is plantar fasciitis. Oh, doc, when I wake up and I hit the ground in the morning, I'm just going crazy. And the reality is, is your body's not ready. The tendon, the ligament is, has been completely dormant this whole time. And now all of a sudden you're asking for it. Hey, let's let's start our 5000 step day today. OK, so just be conscious. Things, little things like that go a long way. You'll be surprised. And are there any mobilities, um, big toe mobilizations you can do? stretches for it for someone who might have a deficiency in big toe range of motion sure yes absolutely absolutely physical therapists I, i'm gonna say, give all the credit to them and uh the re rehabilitation teams they're the pioneers in this i mean I, I i look at videos all the time because i'm marveled by the things they come up with uh they have like rollers and platforms and they're isolating the big toe alone and they're getting your foot to kind of go over the big toe so it's recreating that motion without demanding the big toe joint itself so two things you could do you could ask the big toe to move up itself 
Or we could kind of cheat and ask the toe to move the foot to move over the big toe, stimulating dorsiflexion. So there's an array of uh, post MPJ mobility exercises, um, and I have sent them to PTs in the past and seen success. So uh, you know, I'd, I'd be wrong to take any credit for their their doing. Um, there's definitely, but to answer your question, mobilities and exercises to increase that range of motion. Yeah, that's it's so important because. Again, like your demonstration of that, you can stretch the toe in isolation, or we can put it in a position of how it's functioning when it's a closed chain, meaning your foot's on the ground, and how it's actually interacting with the other joints. And maybe there's a progression that the PTs might take. I don't want to speak for the PTs, where we're first moving in isolation, but they're moving in a more specific manner. And I mean, that's been like, it's a great theme to kind of talk about this in this kind of conversation, because we've been talking about the specificity of proper progression and identification. And that is in regards to if I'm loading the foot, let's be specific, but also progressive in the right way. Now specific is contextual to where you're at now, right? You might say, oh, but being barefoot on a basketball court is the most specific for me. Well, technically, yes, if you play hoops, but maybe you're not ready for, you know, ladder drills barefoot yet on a hardwood surface. So let's be progressive and specific and let's let them counterbalance each other so we actually progress and develop function in the way we want it to um properly function yeah i, I couldn't agree. honestly i couldn't agree with you more um and that's why when i mentioned the ankle rehab i always specifically write passive range of motion this is the easiest form of motion we could demand of our body and then graduate to active range of motion now we're really demanding different things from our joints and then do proprioceptive training it's sort of this ladder of progression right because you don't want to do too much too early you don't want to be that guy you know that rookie at the gym who i'm going to bench press 250 my first day i'm just going to do it i'm going to go for it and all of a sudden you're out of commission for the next three months it's the same aspect in the foot i know it gets neglected you know, people stretch their chest before they do a chest workout, but no one ever thinks I'm going to stretch my ankle and foot before I hit the gym and run. Um, but reality, it just takes one bad problem in your foot and ankle to realize, man, I really wish I never had to go through this. And I hear that all the time, you know, so you want to stretch your Achilles, be religious about it. You want to move your ankle, you want to move your toes uh, and you want to get a proper evaluation because, again, the key is longevity. And if you, I'm telling you, the uh, American sports uh, medicine saying 50% of all injuries are in the foot and ankle, um, severe or moderate or, you know, slight, take it, take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. Take it seriously should be uh, a serious quote that people actually reflect on because we look at a lot of our body and we, we give it, you know, maybe certain areas a lot of serious thought you know if you're a gym goer you're gonna say oh or athlete you know i know my my quads are important to jump high so we're going to take that really seriously and then sometimes oh we'll do three ankle mobs and that's an afterthought uh-huh. right no like let, let's really seriously look at how our body's functioning and have intent behind taking care and being proactive and preventative about how the body works in conjunction with each other and all those pieces and that way we can you know, not have to ideally go see you under a knife, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's what yeah. we want. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not pleasant when, you, you know, um, it's not pleasant when you have to tell a, a patient you see, you know, I just had a senior from high school who, believe it or not, just had a Jones fracture. And I kind of t- had to tell him it's over, it's over, you know, I'm sorry, you know, and this is recruiting season and he wants to play AU and travel and whatnot. And it's, it's not pleasurable for me to do that. 
So my idea is prevention is the best. Let's, let's make sure you don't get to that point. Sometimes we can't avoid it. Sometimes it's just inevitable. But there are certain things that we can do. And if so, we should do. Um, and that's why I think evaluation is crucial, really. And if you really are um, serious about your, your niche and your training and your sport, then you got to take this full, full throttle. Don't think these athletes who made the NBA or the league, they didn't take it seriously from the things they put into their body, whether it be food, from the trainers they saw and the, the exercises they do. Everything has a method to their madness. Um, and if you want to look at these players who've had the longest careers, they put a lot of money into their bodies, right? We know LeBron James spends a million change on his body every year. Um, I forget, I can't, I'm starting to blank out on the Pittsburgh Steelers player who quoted to saying, uh, I take 15% of my paycheck and put it towards my body. James Harrison. James Harrison. Yes. Yes. It was. And it's, it's, it's not like by mistake because you get to a point where you understand, yeah, this is what's needed for me to make it to the next level and differentiate me from the average Joe, because we've all been to the park and seen people who are phenoms and go, Oh, you know, they should be doing something with it. We'll put them in a professional setting. And you're like, Oh man, maybe they're not that good after all, you know? So it, take it serious. If you're serious, you got to go full throttle all the way from head to toe. No pun intended. No, I, that's a great message to have. Um, I know we're wrapping it up here a little bit, doc. And, uh, I want to ask one last question of where can people find out more about yourself? How can we hear more from you? Uh, we're in the street. There's a website coming out. I, I think I heard something like that. Uh, I'm yeah. not really sure. Maybe a little birdie told me some blog coming up. Where yeah. can we hear more about you? Where are you located? So if we want to come talk to you, come meet you, how do yeah. we do that? Um, and give me your Instagram handle as well. Sure, sure, sure. So my, my practice is located in Grand Central, New York. Uh, my Instagram handle is simple NYC foot doc. My email is attached to the Instagram handle. Believe it or not, I, I religiously take time every day to answer any emails or inquiries just because uh, it doesn't hurt me to reply. You know, I'm not that demanding where I, I don't have time to reply to 10, 12 people a day. Uh, I'm open to all different types of questions or any inquiries about anything, really. I, I genuinely enjoy my job. So I love the discussions. I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to this. And then as far as the blog, we're working on a blog put together to talk about things we just talked about today and uh, what I want to say informal but formal manner, right? You know, we're sitting here just kind of shooting at me and you, but the substance we talked about is is legitimate. And that's, that's the beauty of your conversation and this uh, platform you're doing. And the blog is going to be in the similar demeanor. It's going to be worded simplistically it's going to be straight to the point it's going to be about a minute to two read so be on the lookout for that and uh any uh suggestions on what you guys want to read about i'll write about it's it's that simple and everything is fact-based and research evidence that's just the way it goes through things i mean if it's not research-based then i i won't write about it <laughs> so what's the name of the blog too is is it up yet what will be the domain name how do i search to find it so it's not up at the moment, but when it is, all the details will be on the Instagram page. So I just put out a little uh, skit of what people wanted to hear. I got a bunch of different suggestions from sports injuries to list Franks. Believe it or not, everything that was suggested, I'm starting to realize, was on this show. So uh, I, I just lost a lot of my material talking to you today. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, it's going to go up. Uh, I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. I'm hoping within the next week or two to launch my first one and then make it like a weekly ordeal. And then whatever one of people want to hear, I'm more than glad to put it out there. Yeah, go check them out, guys. It's awesome to get this um, wide variety of information on the foot 
detailed in ways that you might not have thought about. At NYC Foot Doc is his handle on Instagram. Great page. It's only growing more and more every day. I'm excited for the content to come out. Dr. Mo, thank you. Really appreciate it, man. It's been awesome. Thank you for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Honestly, I really appreciate you guys, and I hope we work together again in the future. Oh, I'm excited to get you back on soon. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. This is Max Marger here with you saying goodbye and take care all.